So this is, um, excuse me, the title of the sermon. It's, um, the title of the sermon is Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. It, it's been happening to me in the book of Acts. I mentioned this before. Um, there's so much in this book. And this particular section is a large section for me. And I, I bit off more than I can chew. And so we are gonna, I'm going to read 22 through 36. There are three sermons in this passage. I'm gonna, we're going to look at essentially what I just mentioned. This, we're going to look at Peter saying Jesus is the Christ to his audience, the Jewish audience in particular. And we'll make some application from that. But there, there are some other things I really want to spend time on, particularly later in the passage. He has the whole idea of joy at the right hand of God, joy in the presence of God. It's the notion that we'll see Jesus goes from his state of humiliation to exaltation, but that's us. That's going to be our scheme as well. We go from sorrow to joy, humiliation, exaltation. And that's in here. And I don't want to, I don't want to, for the sake of just flying through the book, jump over it, because it's really there, and it's there for our comfort. And I, as I was working through the passage, I said, oh, there's so much more here. And I was tempted to just say, well, I'll zippy-zip through it, but I, I don't want to. So if I preach on what I preach, and you think, wow, there's so much extra I wanted to hear, um, I hope we, we can address it later. But let's go to our passage. The sermon passage of Peter really begins at verse 14, um, but I'll, I'll pick up in verse 22. Um, yeah, 22, hear the word of God. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst. And just as you yourself know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue exalted, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may confidently say to you, regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him an oath, uh, with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, what a word. How we love your Bible, Lord. What a gift it is to have your very word to us, to show us our sin, to show us the Savior, and to show us the wonder that we have bound up in you, Jesus. Help me, Holy Spirit, do justice to your word, especially to proclaim your Christ, and help us all to love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.
I really just unpacked basically the first, in my sermon, the first couple of verses here, and then I brought in some of the other, um, some of the other truths concerning the original title is Jesus is the Risen Savior. And you see in this section um, that a number of times God the Holy Spirit has inspired has inspired uh, Peter to write on the resurrection of Jesus and particularly to use the Joel chapter, no, excuse me, the, the Psalm 16 passage and the Psalm 110 passage, which speaks about Christ going from uh, death and burial to resurrection. Resurrection is fundamental to the gospel. You don't have a gospel without resurrection. This is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to mention this as an aside, uh, touching on resurrection. You can't have a resurrection unless you have the death of Jesus. And what he does, he does as a public person. In other words, he dies as a public person. He uh, rises as a public person, as a representative of us, and to, to free us. We will die, we will rise. And so it's impossible for me to speak of Christ, the gospel of Christ, without introducing the subject of death, which again keeps the church quite manageable. You, you can't really talk about the new life we have without what he rescues us from. And in the passage, again, in a macro sense, what you see the Holy Spirit inspires Peter to talk about regarding Jesus, because you'll see he's talking about Jesus throughout the whole passage. He'll talk about the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, He went about doing good to the bodies and the souls of men. We mentioned it this morning in Sunday school. He was positively keeping the law of God. He loved God. He loved man. So the life of Jesus. And then we come to our text, and you put him to death. You put him on a cross. We have the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he moves from the life and the death of Jesus Christ. And then he he, uh, further speaks about that exaltation, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And he even includes in that the session of the Lord Jesus. So look at what he's talking about in this sermon, Peter's sermon. He talks about Christ. He talks about his person. He'll say he's made him Lord. He's fully God. He'll say this man, uh, this Jesus of Nazareth, he's a real human being. So he talks about Jesus. He talks about the identity of Jesus. He's going to say this Jesus is the Christ. And, And then he introduces his holy life his holy sacrificial death. Then he talks about his uh, exaltation to heaven. He's seated at, the right hand, seated at the right hand of God the Father. So it's a full-orbed picture of the person in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's preaching on. And if you, if you are keen to read the Bible, which I hope we read the Bible, and particularly what we're looking at here, if you look at the account of, uh, of the book of Acts, it's a history of Christ and what Christ has done and what Christ is doing. And so Peter, very basically, as this fisher of men, um, he is busy preaching, obviously, and he's busy fundamentally preaching Jesus. And I don't mean redundantly. It's not being silly. He does introduce the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he, he even, but he even explains that with a Christological focus. He'll say, Joel 2 says, when you see the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then you know Christ has come. So everything is somehow touching, supportive of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, the seed of Mary, Christ. Jesus, Peter is preaching Jesus. Now, I got a text 
last night and then I got the counterpart this morning of a person that's not here. They're sick and say, well, I really want to, um, I hate to miss church today because I'm going to miss your Mother's Day sermon. And of course, they were poking fun at me because I don't preach Mother, Mother's Day sermons. And I know people get mad at me for that, which again, I keep the church nice and manageable. I love mothers. I love mothers. The first thing I did when I opened my eyes this morning was thought about my mother. First Mother's Day, I don't have her. And my wife, mother, I'm giving her roses and chocolates. You're the best mother. I want to call my kids and say, make sure you tell your spouses that they're a good mom. So if the Bible said, John, you could preach mothers, I would preach, I would preach such a sermon on mamas. You would love it and I would love it. But the Bible doesn't tell me to preach on mamas, even though I love my mama. Right? The Bible tells me to preach what? That's exactly right. So it's, it's not a deprecating of one. If you come to my house, you'll see, make sure you send roses, make sure you send chocolates, make sure you call, all of that. Peter comes and does what Jesus tells him to do. Um, you're a servant of Christ, you're a minister of Christ, you're a gospel minister, you tell people the good news in Jesus. And we have lots of other interests. But it's Christ, 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 Christ. I mentioned in Sunday school, it's really on my mind. I hope it doesn't come out in the sermon too much. I'm so grieved over what's going on politically with the, the, the abortion, the pro-death, and all of this business. The answer is Christ. There, the answer is Jesus Christ. We, we have the answer. The life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the rule of Christ... It's Christ. You could talk with a pro-abortion person to, to your blue in the face. If it's not Christ that changes a person, what will, what will turn people? Will yelling at them turn them? Will yelling at them turn them? What will turn us? I used to be pro-abortion. What turned me to be pro-life? The one who is the eternal life, the word of life, the life. This one. So those other things don't change. And, and pick your topic. Uh, gay marriage, whatever you, whatever it is, pick your topic. The only thing that changes the hearts and minds of sinners to make them saints, to, to go from God-haters to God-lovers, from people-haters to people-lovers, is Christ. I know it sounds so simple. I know it sounds so, so simple. And when you look at the Bible... It's the minister here, it's, he gets up to preach, and what are you going to preach on? Somehow, you put me in the book of Ezekiel, somehow I'm going to show you. See, Daniel, somehow it's pointing to Jesus. And you think, well, we, we heard this last week. You, you, th- that's true, and I hope next week you'll hear it again next week if I'm still here. But beloved, do we not need to... Re- this is one of the benefits of the Christian Sabbath. We, we, we separate ourselves from the world, we come among brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, and Peter says, let me tell you about Jesus. What happens when you what, what happens when we leave here and we go out to the world, Monday through Saturday? What happens? What happens? What fills your mind? What fills your mind? I already know. I already know. It's a rat's nest. My sister's um, second my younger sister's daughter hates her job, so she quit her job. And originally she was going to love her job. And I said, she's going to hate every job. And the reason she hates every job is because jobs stink. And I'm not picking on all jobs, but it, everything is this. 
all day long. All day long, we're, we're bombarded with anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-holiness, anti-heaven, anti-joy. People are stressed out of their gourds. Are they not? Angry as hornets. Are they not? Why? Because all week long, we hear anti-Christ, anti-Christ, anti-Christ. We need this. I need this. Every week, we need to be told, Jesus is the Christ. He's died for your sins. Your sins are all forgiven. He rose from the dead. You'll rise from the dead. What about my son? What about my daughter? What about my mother? What about my father who died in Christ? They're with Jesus. And you're going to see them again. Who doesn't need that? Peter preaches Christ. Many years ago, obviously as a Presbyterian, we have presbyteries. It's a collection of elders. And a collection of elders and ministers. And in order to be an OPC minister, you get tested. You have to preach. You have to take lots of exams, too. And there was a young man coming for licensure. We have three steps, coming under care, licensure, ordination. Licensure is probably the toughest. It's brutal. And you have to preach a sermon. And a man preached a psalm. He preached a psalm of David. But he preached a psalm of David on David. And the essence of his sermon was, David was brave, you should be brave like David. And I'm a young guy, I'm sitting there going, tell me, keep keep going, keep going. And what did I want him to go to? Tell me, tell me, David points me to David's son. Tell me, David points me to David's Lord. That's what Peter says later. He's alluding to second what is it, 2 Samuel 17 or 7? He's going to make a covenant with David. And David's always going to have one of his ancestors on the throne. And it's Jesus. And his kingdom will have no what? And, But he never did. Be brave like David. Is that a sermon? In God's providence, and I don't say this with any malice or any glee, In God's providence, that man did not go on to be a minister of the gospel. And I say it's a kindness to the man, and I say it's a kindness to the church. Why? There's no Christ. There's no Christ. Take me to David for the purpose of taking me to Christ. Beloved, everybody and their brother wants to be a Bible teacher. Everybody and their brother and their sister are trying to be a preacher. The Bible is clear. James chapter 3, not many should be quick to be Bible teachers, gospel preachers. The only people that should be gospel preachers, Bible teachers, are those called by God and equipped by God. And then you'll know it. How will you know it? When you come in and you look, and like Peter, he'll say, we're going to talk about Christ today. If a man can't preach Christ, he's not a minister of Christ. And he ought not stand up in any pulpit, any lectern. There's a section in our larger catechism. I commend it to your reading. It's so contrary to our modern way of thinking. It's question and answer 156 to 160. You should put that in your notes. 156, larger catechism to 160, and I think you should read that. Um, And now he preaches on Christ, 
and more specifically, he preaches on a Christ that was recently crucified by the Roman government, recently buried in a Jewish tomb, recently ascended, uh, rose from the dead like, like Jonah coming out of the whale, and recently ascended into heaven, and that this one is the Christ. And so, very generally, as we look at what's going on, Peter's preaching Jesus Christ so that people know Christ. I've been camped out in my morning in family worship with my wife in 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 5. And John there says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what we have heard concerning Jesus, what we have seen concerning Jesus, we have held concerning Jesus, we now make known. We now make known. And we make known two ways. With our lives, we live a life that brings glory to the gospel of Jesus, that shows that we're changed people, but with our words. He says over and over, this Christ that I know, I now declare him to you. Beloved, he's preaching Christ because the Christian religion is evangelical, not obnoxiously so. I gave a two thumbs up to the guy on the, th- the corner yesterday. My wife yelled at me in the car. And he, 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 he preached Jesus. And he preached Romans 6.23. And Mona said, no, he's a Ruckmanite. Don't give him the thumbs up. And I'm giving him, I didn't care what she was saying because he, he was quoting the Bible. He quoted John. He quoted Romans. He quoted James. He said the wages of sin is death. But he did say the free offer of, of God is eternal life in Jesus. He did say it. And I don't care if he's goofy as a jaybird. I'm as goofy as a jaybird. If he says that, that's right. That is right. We are to know Jesus Christ and then talk about Jesus Christ so, so that others can know him too. That's Peter's purpose. Why are you talking about Jesus? So you can know Jesus. So, so that what? So that you can be forgiven of your sins. That you could receive the love and the mercy and the hope. In John's gospel, he says the joy. And then later he says here, the, the joy. So you can know the joy. We can know the joy of being joined to God. We can know the joy of being joined together. And so that we can live, live with Christ forever and ever. And that's, that's generally what he's doing. Now, when you look at all of this business, how will it be effectual that people know Jesus savingly since the Bible does say we're all dead in our sins and trespasses. How will that happen? You know, are we supposed to go around telling people that we don't even know if they're the elect? I don't know if they're the elect. Maybe they're the reprobate. I don't know. And if they're not born again, they're dead in their sins and trespasses. So how is God going to make those people alive? How does he do that? Through this. Through the foolishness. What's he doing? Through the foolishness of what? Preaching. Preaching. And the foolishness of preaching what? The cross is what he gets at. This is so antithetical to the way man thinks. And sadly, I would argue it's antithetical to the way much of the church thinks. The, the church does not want this. The church does not want this. They, they really don't. If you were to change this around and not make it Christ-focused, cross-focused, heaven focus, what would happen? You would need a shoehorn to get people in this joint. You'd need a shoehorn. You'd need a shoehorn. We, the world doesn't want it. There's a time coming when the church won't want it. 
But who wants it? God wants it. This is how God saves the elect. This is how God brings the sheep in. This is how he conforms them into the image of Jesus. God the Holy Spirit makes dead men alive through this. Through the preaching of Jesus. Through the preaching of the cross. Well, it's foolishness. Yeah, to man, but not to God. Is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe the foolishness of Christ preached. Christ died for sins. He rose again. Natural man doesn't believe this. This is what the Holy Spirit uses to advance the kingdom. Now, the context of this particular section that we read, 22 to 36, is found up in Acts 2, 1. It's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is being poured out on the church of Jesus Christ to enable the church to carry out the Great Commission, which is what? To go to the whole wide world and do what? Tell the whole wide world, Christ has come. The Savior has come to every corner of the world. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability. And I want you to see something. Our text, the previous text, contains the doctrine of the Trinity. Not perfectly spelled out, but if we are good Bereans and we understand the Bible and we read the Bible from cover to cover, we have all three persons of the Godhead mentioned in our passage. This is part of the preaching. Preach Christ, preach the cross, preach the Trinity. Well, that's some heavy-duty doctrine. Peter is preaching heavy-duty doctrine. And with heavy-duty doctrine, what does it require? One, that you're born again, and two, that you think. You think. This is why the light shows and the saber shows are not good. My daughter or son, I forget which one, my, my daughter maybe, she had gone to visit a church, and the guy, the minister, dressed up as a fireman. He put a fireman's outfit on, and he was going to show something about saving, Jesus was saving, and he got a car door, and he was going to smash the window of the car door somehow to make some illustration that Jesus saves you from, I don't know, a fire. You're going to dress up like a fireman and strap a car door on something and get a sledgehammer and smash the car, the window to make some point? And you're, you're looking going, this, oh, wow, this is crazy. Oh, he did this. When you can take the word of God and flesh out, he died for our sins. He, you, you, you see, one, you're like, wow, look at the hat. Ooh, the glass went everywhere. But it tells you nothing. It tells you nothing. So Christianity, to, 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 to grow in the Lord, it's work. This is, it's work to read your Bible. It's work to prepare sermons to preach. But beloved, it's work for you. This is work for you. To attend the means of grace with diligence. You're not going to get anything... I used to preach in Tallahassee when I was being tested to preach. And there was a 17-year, 18-year-old kid that sat in the back. And the tile of the Tallahassee church is tiles on the... And he, I could see him. He's counting the tiles. He's not working. I'm working, but he's not working. And what's he leaving with? Nothing. He's leaving with nothing. Not Christ. No hope no joy, no peace, no conviction of sin. And so when Peter says, I'm going to tell you about the Trinity. In our text, he talks about God, God the Father. In our text, he talks about the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. In our text, he talks about Jesus, God the Holy Son. There's only one God. We're monotheists. Jesus says, quoting the book of Deuteronomy and elsewhere, Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord thy God is what? One 
Wait a minute, you just said there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yeah, they're all here. All here. That's three gods. Nope. One God and three divine persons. How does that work? I don't have any idea. None. But the Bible teaches it. The Bible ascribes here divine names, titles, works, worship to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that Jesus Christ raises the dead. We're going to see that Jesus Christ receives worship. Thomas says, my Lord and my what? My God. Beloved, just because I can't explain the Trinity, you can't fully explain the Trinity, it doesn't mean the Bible doesn't teach it. And so the man is supposed to preach it as the best as he can understand. And when we are supposed to receive it the best that we can understand, and then pray over it and pray over it and pray over it and love it. And not only is Peter introducing just in general the idea of the Trinity. Should I put my J.I. Packer quote in here? I I think I will. J.I. Packer has this. I I argue the Bible is a revelation of the Trinity and I'm in good company. J.I. Packer has this quote. It's very interesting. The Trinity is the basis of the Gospel and the Gospel is the Trinity in action. J.I. Packer is... I know there's some things about him that some people don't like and maybe I disagree with him certainly on some things. Boy, howdy. And what he's really getting at there is just this. And many theologians have said something similar. Oh, it'll come to me. God the Father plans redemption. God the Son procures redemption. God the Holy Spirit applies redemption. That's what Packer's getting at with the, with the, the gospel being the Trinity in action. Father plans, Son procures, Holy Spirit applies. And that's what's going on here. And so Peter says, when you look around, it's the fulfillment of Joel. Christ has come. When you hear all these tongues, Christ has come. And now let me show you who this Christ is. And Christ is um, Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit is inspiring Joel to speak of Christ. uh, Peter to speak of Christ, certainly. David to speak of Christ. Where do we find the revelation of God to show us the true saving and sanctifying Christ? Where do we go to learn to take Christ's yoke of upon us and learn of Jesus? Where do we go? Where do you go? Where do you go? The Bible. The Bible. Natural revelation can show us a lot of things. God is. God is powerful. God is wise. God is good. I walk every day for my blood circulation um, and I pray I walk and pray and then I later in the day when because I, I have to get up every hour and a half and run around and I ride and pray and I ride around this little area here and so I look at the bushes and the trees and all this stuff and I always walk around thinking my father made look at God made the he made the green he made the blue he made the white and thank you God even the little little critters that run around. My Father made you. Those things show us that God is good and God is powerful and God is wise. But it's only the Bible that says God is merciful to to unmerciful and evil people. And he's merciful to unmerciful and evil people in the person of Jesus Christ, his Son. So for us to find Christ as it were, If you have a Bible on your lap, that's where you find them. And just very briefly, as an aside, um, boy, what a... 
What an exhortation. What a reason for us as God's people to really get into the Bible. I read other books, obviously. You come into my, my, my office. I have got a bazillion books. Thank you, church, by the way. Um, Charles Spurgeon said this. For Christians, we should read other books, other good books, but we should live in the Bible. I know all of us have devotional books that we read. Let's practice this, which was what Spurgeon was getting at. Spend time. I read, I read R.C.'s, uh, J.I. Pack, no, not J.I. R.C. Oh, oh, come on. You know who I'm talking about. Jay, oh, whatever his name is. Yeah, thank you very much. So I read these guys every day. But don't let that reading of these other guys push out the reading of the Bible. And just very, just as an exhortation, take your other reading. It could be good, good and orthodox. Take a stopwatch to it. Go, okay, I read, I read, uh, um, who's it's for uh, 30 minutes. And then take a stopwatch to when you just get a Bible open. Just a Bible. No commentary, just Bible. Take your stopwatch to it. What do you think you're going to find? I'm not picking on anybody. I know what we're going to find. 30 minutes in Calvin and 30 seconds in the Bible. I think we should flip that around. I think we should spend 30 minutes three hours in the Bible and 30 minutes in Calvin. (laughs) You see what I'm getting at. It's the Bible. The Bible. I'm so depressed. Bible. I'm sick as a dog. Bible. Go to the doctor and sick as a dog. My marriage is on the rocks. Bible. My kiddos think I'm nuts. Bible. You see? It's Bible. And notice what Peter's doing. Joel. Psalm 16, Psalm 110, 2 Samuel 17. He he does it in one sermon. How can he do that? How can he do that? He's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. How can he do that? How can we do that? We're not inspired by the Holy Spirit. No, but we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There's a common proverb, no pain, uh, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. If you're a baby Christian, praise God. You will never be able to wield that sword with any kind of dexterity until we flip that ratio around and get into the Bible because we find Christ and we grow in Christ. Again, I'm not against the other things. J.C. Ryle, that's what I'm thinking. Okay, now, look at who Peter is talking to Christ to. Look at verse 14, look at verse 22, And then look at verse 36. So 14, 22, 36. Peter's preaching Christ. He's going to say that Christ is Jesus of Nazareth. And look at who he's saying this to. Okay, 14 says, Men of Judea and everyone who lives in Jerusalem. And what does he mean there? So we're at a feast of Pentecost. It's a Jewish feast. And there are two kind of folk there. You have Jews and then you have Gentile proselytes. Gentile, Gentile proselyte. A proselyte is someone who comes near. I think that's literally what it means. And so they, they believed in the God of Israel. They believed in the Bible of the God of Israel. They just didn't get circumcised. Oh, I forget who it was. Uh, Cornelius was a proselyte. So they come near. So these are Gentiles that believe in the God of the Jews. So that's coupled in verse uh, uh, 14. And then he says in our text, 
um, verse 22, men of Israel. And then he says in verse 36, all the house of Israel know for certain. So he's talking to Jews about Christ and that Jesus is the Christ. I have a whole little section, but for brevity's sake, I'm going to jump over much, much of it. When he mentions Israel, men of Israel, men of Israel, men of, men of, men of Israel, this is the audience for his sermon on Christ. Israelites. The word is Israel is, is, is very significant. Israel didn't start life as Israel. Israel started life as what? Jacob. So it was Rebecca and Isaac, mom and dad. And they had uh, Rebecca conceived twins, Jacob and, uh, and Esau. And so when the Jew hears Israel, what are they thinking? Jacob I have I loved and uh, Esau I have hated. How does Jacob go from being Jacob to being Israel? How is he being called Israel? Later in the Bible, when Jacob thinks Esau is going to come out to kill him, you remember this one? He meets an angel, he thinks. But it's really God in a pre-incarnate form, which I would argue is a pre-incarnate Christ, because he gets blessed. He meets its penile, the face of God. He meets God. And he wrestles with God. And, and he says to God, essentially, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And um, it's a very unique story, I know. But it happened. And he touches him on the hip. And so Jacob goes limping the rest of his life. But he changes his name to Israel. It means he who God preserves or God perseveres. God saves. That's the idea. And then through this man, Israel, he will be the progenitor of God's people. And through God's people will come God's Christ. You see how it's all connected? This is why we have to be good Bereans. Men of Israel. He's saying people of God, household of God, children of God, the people to whom the Christ will come. Christ comes through Israel. I watched a video the other day and then I shut it off because I was getting so mad. It was an unbeliever saying, Jesus is just a a misunderstood Palestinian and the, the preacher, it was in the preaching corner in, in England. The preacher didn't know how to respond to the Muslim beating him up. He said, for the love of Pete, I want to get on a plane right now. I could give the answer. He's not a Palestinian. He's a Jew. Jesus was a Jew after the flesh, was he not? That's the whole point of, of Matthew chapter 1 and, 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 the, and Luke, the genealogies. He's a child of Abraham. Now, if anybody's trying to get pure race, there's no such thing as pure race anyways. We're all, we're all cousins. That's not the point. He says, men of Israel, the notion is children of God. You have the covenants. You have the promises of all the people of the earth. God only chose Israel. And he says, men of Israel, the Christ has come. You, you see that? Of all the people on the earth, Israel should have received Jesus as their Christ. Because they had Jesus from Genesis 3.15. He's the sum and the substance of all of the types and the shadows of the ceremonial law. The Jews had the advantage over everybody. They had God, the Gentiles didn't. They had the covenants of, of promise, the Gentiles didn't. They had the gospel, the Gentiles didn't. And so now Peter says, and he's come. You should have been looking for him. Jesus is a Jew after the flesh and he was sent to the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel first. First. That's what's going on. Now, I want to say something. Obviously, I was born a Gentile. I lived in a town with probably maybe 20% Jewish folks. 
um, my father was the first Gentile to, to join the JCC, Jewish Community Club. We were the token goy, the goyim. But we're Gentiles after the flesh. And if I were to say in modern setting, it's almost considered wrong to tell a Jew, believe in Jesus. I went to watch a clip the other day, a video clip of a man that was about to mock Jews for Jesus. It was a Jewish folk man, and he was going to mock Jews for Jesus, as if this is so stupid, as if being a Jew and being a Christian are impossible poles apart. Is that right, beloved? You can't tell a Jew? Believe in Christ. Be a Christian. Be a disciple of Messiah. Because it just doesn't work? They're poles apart? Is that right? Is that right? That's wrong. Abraham believed in Christ. Moses believed in Christ. Hebrews chapter 11. David in Psalm 16. Psalm 110. David believed in Jesus Christ. Andrew, Peter, James, and John. I used to know the little apostles song. All Jews. All Jews. And they believed in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11. The great hall of faith. All Jews. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. By faith in Christ they arrived at heaven. The heavenly promised land. Here's Peter, a Jew, that stands up in a group of Jews and says, Jesus is the Messiah of the Jews. You would be arrested. I would probably be kicked out of most Christian churches if I said what I just said. And if you think you can go to Israel and say what I just said, you will be arrested. You can't proselytize. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah of the Jews. You're not walking into a store buying a New Testament over there. You're just not doing it. Because of this idea that it's totally different. No, it's not totally different. Almost the entire early apostolic church was Jewish. The mystery of the faith is not not that Jesus saves Jews. That's not the mystery. What's the mystery of the faith? That he saves Gentiles. That's the mystery. There are like three, four, five, six places where Paul uses that word mystery. And he's preaching to Jews. He says the mystery is that God is going to save Gentiles in Christ. I want to read you a couple of of those. Ephesians 3. That by the revelation that was made known to me, the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, to be specific. Here's the mystery. Not, the mystery is not that Jesus saves Jews. He was always coming for the Jews. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery. So he says, men of Israel, we should have been looking for the Christ. And now he comes. I want you to think of this. Herod was an Edomite. It, 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 you know, in one of its 
with an I, but it's a, he's an Edomite. And Herod hears through the Magi that the king, the Messiah, is born. And so an Edomite, a God-hater, says to the Jewish religious leaders, where will Christ be born? And what do they say? Micah 5. He'll be born, he'll be born in, in, in Bethlehem. They know right away. Righteous Simon, righteous Anna, the prophetess, in Luke's gospel, the baby Christ comes in. Simon says, what? Now I can die. Now I can die. I'm holding the Christ. The righteous Jew, the believing Jew, was always looking for the Christ to come. And Peter says, here he is. And throughout the text he says, this Jesus, this man Jesus, this man Jesus from Nazareth, this man Jesus from Nazareth who did signs and miracles and wonders. And he doesn't want anybody to be mistaken. There are always false Christs coming. There were false Christs before Christ came and there were false Christs after. uh, And they'll say, I'm Jesus. I'm the Savior. And, and, And Peter doesn't want to be mistaken. He said, no, it's this Jesus. This one. Only this Jesus is the Christ. The one that was crucified. Only this Jesus. The one that was risen. Only the Christ of miracles. And he, he, he was living in Nazareth. Even that's a fulfillment of the prophecy. John 1. Was it Nathaniel or Philip, one of them? Anything good come from Nazareth? The point is that he fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 9. The people living in great darkness, Nazareth and Galilee. And what are they going to see? This one. This one. And so Peter is like, not the other Christ, not the other Jesus. Only this one is the true Christ. Beloved, even Jesus puts us on guard. This is why we need to be in the Bible. False Christs will come. False prophets will come and say, here I am. Here I am. Oh no. Only the one that died for sin. Only the one that rose like this one. Only the one that's at the right hand of the Father can save us from our sins. Think of all the other false. Oh, I'm, I'll take you to heaven. Jesus says in John 10, there are many false people coming. They're trying to sneak into heaven another way. They can't take anybody to heaven. I'm lamenting, I mentioned at the outset, I'm lamenting the whole abortion mess. I'm lamenting it. Nothing can save those people. Nothing can save any people. Nothing. Except this one. Join the action groups, join the whatever, anything on anything. Man's problem is, is, is not just that. Man's problem is we're separated from God. We're, as George Whitfield said, we are half beast and half devil apart from God in Christ. The only thing is this. And Peter doesn't come and say, let's just kill all those Romans. Let's just do all this. Let's do all that. What does he say? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Believe in Christ. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.